For decades, the Vietnam War has been a Hollywood obsession. Apocalypse Now, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, First Blood. These were blockbuster films, embraced by audiences and critics alike. And for decades, they've helped us understand a painful war and understand each other. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Brian Raftery, and this is Do We Get to Win This Time? How Hollywood Made the Vietnam War. Listen on the Big Picture feed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Content. It's the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the Coliseum of Contentious Opinion so we can all decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. This week, we polled you for two weeks to decide which Batman enter our four-nominee poll that will enter trial by content and decide which Batman is the best. Hello again. I'm Dave Gonzalez. Oh, hello. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Neil Miller. Oh, you think Batman is your ally? We merely adopted the Batman. For the last two weeks, we've been debating it, being molded by it. We didn't see the poll results until we were already ready, and by then it was nothing to us but blinding! We're here for the finale week of the Trial Royale, trying to determine who is the best on-screen Batman ever, and after this week, we will finally have our answer. But first, which 21st century Batman are joining Michael Keaton and Kevin Conroy's Batman for today's Final Four? Let's look at the results from last week. Last week's poll was to figure out the best 21st century Batman coming in fourth right where I think he deserves to be, is the Ben Affleck Batman with 8.7%, which means the thing I asked listeners to do last week, they did. They put Will Arnett in third place with 13.7% of the vote. Big win for Lego Batman. And then our top two who are are returning for the Bat Royale finale week, Robert Pattinson with 28.8% of the vote and Christian Bale running away with 48.8% of the vote. That means this week's final four is Michael Keaton, Kevin Conroy, Christian Bale, and Robert Pattinson. We're going to have to decide between a set of Batman that Joanna Robinson predicted four or five weeks ago. But here we are. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, Joanna knows what's going on in the Batverse. Uh, before we get started uh, with this week, uh, just a reminder, you go to letterbox.com slash content. There you could see episode by episode movies that we mention. Uh, this week, I imagine, we'll have a lot of uh, overlap with the other past two weeks. It'll all be Batman movies. But when we uh, diversify the types of movies that we talk about, uh, sometimes we talk about a lot more movies that will even fit into the four nominee poll so if you find or hear about a movie that you want to investigate for yourself uh you could check out which ones we mentioned at letterbox.com slash trial by content speaking of 
next week, we're out of the Bat Cave and we're back to doing weekly trial royales. And you know what? It's been a while since we've told you what the worst thing was. Uh, and so in honor of uh, Barbie finally crossing the billion dollar mark with the worldwide box office, we thought it'd be fun to ask you, what is the worst movie to make $1 billion worldwide at the box office. You could email your choice and a description of why you choose that movie to trialbycontent at gmail.com. There's a fun five side prompt here that Neil has added. Which billion dollar movie would you put into the Criterion collection? Ooh, I like that. I love yeah. it. We're, we're definitely doing that pre-trial next week. And then also we were having a debate about whether or not inflation uh, matters. And we decided like, look, if you think Gone with the Wind is the worst movie to ever make an inflated uh, $1 billion, uh, make your case. Trial by content at gmail.com. Maybe it makes it into the poll. Maybe we could just do with all the Jurassic World movies. We'll find out <laughs> next week. Uh, before we get to the Batman thing, we got to turn our head a little to the right to look at the other major superhero uh, house. Joanna, what can you tell me about this book, the MCU Reign of Marvel Studios and this podcast? Well, it's so great that um, we have one of those flexible bat suits so we can turn our head to the left <laughs> or the right and look at what's next to us. Yeah, so you might have heard that Dave Gonzalez and I wrote a book with tremendous emotional support from our pal Neil Miller. Um, so in, in effect, all three of us wrote a book. Honestly, I do feel like you were with us every step of the way, Neil. Um, and it is coming out this fall in October, October 10th. MCU colon Reign of Marvel Studios will be out. Um, we have been asked by our publisher to do a little pre-sale push this week. So you might hear us here and there talking about it. Um, pre-sales are really important for publishers. They help publishers determine sort of if they're going to send offers, authors on tour, where they're going to send authors on tour, et cetera, et cetera. So if you want to see us come to your city, please do us a solid pre-order the book. Um, we have a little incentive for trial by content listeners, which is this. If you pre-order this book and you could do so by going to the mcubook.com, the mcubook.com, Dave in his infinite wisdom has made that point to a page where you can buy the book at like any of your favorite book retailers. If you like to support Bezos, if you like to support BNN, if you like to support your local independent, you can buy it from any of those places. All of it helps us. So we really appreciate it. Um, but if you are a trial by content listener, and you pre-order the book, and you send us either an email or a tweet with proof that you pre-ordered the book after you heard this podcast. It's for new pre-orders. And along with that proof, you send us a topic that you want for a trial by content episode. We will be putting all of those proven <laughs> suggestions <laughs> and drawing from them, and we will be doing future episodes, I'd say based on like, what, three Three listener suggestions? Does that sound fun? Neil, how do you feel about that? Oh, I feel great about that. I love it when the listeners tell us what to do. I love it sometimes. Dave, how do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, no, no, that sounds great. I'm down with three. I'm actually looking at what other, um, you know, websites that I have control over should point to this this pre-order. Like, I definitely have uh, Batman versus Superman enter the night.com from when I was trolling Warner <laughs> Brothers. So that could, that could point to our book. Uh, last pages of great books, that could point to our book. So uh, definitely go to the mcubook.com, but also maybe we start populating. Familiar with your byline.com? Familiar with your byline.com? <laughs> yeah. Corg, corganporg.org? 
<laughs> That's themcubook.com to pre-order MCU colon the Random Marvel Studios. Um, send us your proof, your suggestion. We will be gathering all of those and then figuring out a future date where we can do some listener suggestions. We really, really appreciate your support. I hate self-promotion, so thank you so much for cringing through that with me. Okay, um, goals and rules of the trial today. I think we've already stated it's pretty clear. We are down to the final four. Keaton Conroy, Bale, Pattinson. Determine which on-screen Batman is the best. I think, I mean, I don't need to get ahead of us. I feel like Bale is going to take this whole thing, but both Bale and Keaton ran away with their respective polls. So like, it really is going to be a Keaton Bale, you know, battle. And I'm very, I'm very curious to see how this. Honestly, I was a little surprised uh, at the Bale results because it started with like a 75% share of the vote in the first couple thousand votes, but whittled all the way down under 50%. It, you could get close this final bowl. We'll see. Hell yeah, Robert Pattinson. Way to eat up your percentage of the vote. So um, <laughs> that is what we're here to do today. But, uh, you know, given that Barbie is still raking in, you know, the bucks at the box office, we are still wanting to do a check-in on the movie bet. We won't do this every week for the end of the year, but we're in like a real have things moved kind of space. So, Neil, have things moved on the... <laughs> <laughs> trial by content 2023 movie bet they have not uh, um no alas. changes this week in the movie bet math even though barbie did get over a billion dollars and is rapidly approaching super mario brothers as the number one grossing domestic film uh of this year so really the only thing people could do to affect the outcome at this point if our listeners are like i need to make sure this movie bet goes a certain way uh, you either got to get on there and change the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of one of these movies or, uh, you know, keep going to see Barbie, I guess, until until she's got more than those Mario Brothers. I'm rooting for myself to not have to <laughs> tub thump. <laughs> Across the Spider-Verse the the still air. remains in, in first. So Dave and but, I are still in the tub thumping zone. But I'm also kind of rooting for Barbie. So we'll see how everything goes. Um, gosh, what did inspire our debate this week? Um, oh yeah, it's the Cape Crusader. It's week three. You already know why we're here. But as we've been doing the last two weeks, we're going to take an aspect of Batman and sort of talk about the history of it and what makes it important. If you haven't been listening all along, first week Neil Miller did, took us to Crime Alley for the death of the Waynes and, and Batman's identity is an orphan. Last week, I put on a trench coat and a fedora, got out my magnifying glass. We did Detective Batman. And this week... Dave Gonzalez has put on a mask and is sitting on a pile of money and he's here to talk about rich vigilantes. Dave Gonzalez, take it away. What fear lurks in the heart of men? Rich people in masks know. Uh, that's a shadow thing. We're going to get there. Uh, but also we're going to uh, start just with the 20th century. There's, I've read some compelling arguments that Alexander Dumois sort of... Uh, it, inspired the superhero that eventually became Batman. But uh, you know who I couldn't find saying that? Uh, Bob Kang or Bill Finger. So uh, I'm guessing we are going to go back to what is uh, the archetype of the modern day superhero, uh, which would be uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel, written by Baroness Orsi. Uh, she is uh, had to flee her uh, where she was born in Hungary. 
uh, because her family was involved with the government there. And there was a so-called peasant uprising in 1868 when she was only three. So she bounced around for a little bit before finally landing in uh, England, I believe around the age of uh, 13 and 14. So she got some education in English and uh, became a writer, artist, uh, pretty a pretty, pretty cool uh, woman, modern woman for the, the 1900s. Uh, her and her husband, who helped her with translation and illustrations for her short stories, adapted one of her short stories uh, into a play called The Scarlet Pimpernel. This character... Uh, Sir Percival Blackney uh, is a character that she came up with waiting uh, for the train in the London Underground, uh, as you do. But he is a English gentleman who moonlights as the Scarlet Pimpernel, a avenger of the aristocracy, the somewhat unjustly sentenced aristocracy during France's reign of terror. Joanna, you were mentioning as a Scarlet Pimpernel fan before this that he's mostly, sa- he's not saving a, a lot of like uh, oppressive aristocrats. He's mostly saving the children and family members of uh, people who are going to the guillotine. Specifically, the first novel um, sort of centers his wife as a character who doesn't know uh, that he is actually living this double double life and he has to end up saving her uh, from uh, this this horrible fate. So it's at least slightly more personalized. But uh, yeah, he's, he's a hero, even if he is sort of like a reverse Robin Hood. He's like saving rich people from rich people to give back to the rich people. So Percy is like, first of all, I love Scarlet Pimpernel. And so I could not be more thrilled in the year 2023 that we're talking about the Scarlet Pimpernel on a podcast. I have a Scarlet Pimpernel tattoo. Like, I love this story so much. Uh, So Percy Blakeney uh, saves mostly the like elderly and like women and children. That is my understanding. That's mostly who he's like smuggling out of France to save them from the guillotine. Um, But if you want to say like, I don't really buy into hashtag not all billionaires, then, you know, maybe (laughs) Percy isn't the hero for you. But that's who. (laughs) Hashtag not all aristocrats. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not all French aristocrats. Um, But that's, you know, that's a, yeah, that's who Percy was. So interesting things about this. He leaves a calling card. That's the actual Scarlet uh, Flower Pimpernel. Uh, He uses a distinct weapon where he's uh, very good with a sword. Uh, He's a master of disguise and subterfuge. Uh, And as a way of showing that, he has a secret identity because when Sir Percy goes out as himself, he is a foppish dandy. Surely that man is not a vigilante, you would say, listening to him talk or flounce around or his his very uh, his social outward appearance is very uh, Christian Bale, Bruce Wayne. That's sort of where this uh, originates. Uh, he also eventually, you know, has a league uh, or he's the leader of a league. Uh, I believe it's quoted one to command and 19 to obey. Sir Percy is the one to command. Uh, So like I said, kind of a reverse Robin Hood. So that's why I'm not going back to start with actual Robin Hood. Robin Hood wasn't uh, in the original sort of myths, wasn't that into hiding his identity. He was out there doing his stuff, had something against the tax man, uh, but was not living (laughs) a dual life and was certainly not rich because he lived in a forest. Um, the reason it's important that they be rich is because if we were just doing masked vigilantes, especially in America, 
there's another book published in 1905 by Thomas Dixon. It's called The Klansman. It's a fictionalized portrayal of the Ku Klux Klan as a group of well-meaning vigilantes that would eventually be lightly adapted (laughs) into Birth of a Nation. Uh, And that movie's popularity kickstarted the Klan in the 20th century. How do we know that this book was responsible for kickstarting the Klan in the 20th century? Well, you know that burning cross that you associate with the KKK? That was not part of the Reconstruction Era Klan. That is in the Klansmen and has been adapted uh, through a book and a movie to become a real uh, horrible symbol. Uh, But you know what? So they're like basically, they're Klan cosplaying, essentially. Essentially, they, uh, the the book The Klansman is, again, fictionalized because they're like, what if the Klan came back and, you know, made use of this? It has all the implied racism that you would imagine, but also the Scarlet Pimpernel disguise, uh, disguises himself as a quote-unquote shyster at some point. So it's like the the, the racial <laughs> attitudes of the Great. time were uh, were baked into a lot it of these It seems kind of regionally specific at that point. Well, the interesting thing is this like second rise of the Klan also comes with the rise of mass superheroes, which is why Superman, one of the many reasons Superman is like actually fighting the Klan in a lot of things is there's a very distinct us versus them. Uh, the masked superheroes of pulp magazines are escapism. The Klan is very real and deserves to be laughed at. That happens uh, throughout the 30s, uh, which we appreciate. Uh, so instead of uh, somebody reading the Klansman and thinking, I have a great idea. Uh, the Pimpernel actually inspired a man named Johnston McClully, who in 1919 became, began a series of serialized stories in All Story Weekly, a pulp magazine. Uh, it, the series was called The Curse of Capistrano, and it starred a figure we would eventually get to know as Zorro. Uh, Zorro is a aristocrat with a secret identity as a vigilante, but uh, has additions to the myth. One, he's set in the Americas in early California. Uh, I don't know exactly when because the books are incredibly vague. There's parts where it's like, we're in early Los Angeles, but uh, some things that are dated happened before, I believe, 1781 when Los Angeles became like a fort town. Anyway, not important. It's he's in California and he is in a consistent costume. He is not a master of disguise initially, but he is somebody who puts on the same costume to go fight crime with his vigilanteism. Uh, this book was, or this serial was uh, pretty instantly popular. Uh, Doug- Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford, maybe you've heard of them if you like old silent films, were such fans of the serial that on their honeymoon, they uh, had a discussion about how much they like Zorro and decided to make their make it a film adaptation of the story, their first production for the new United Artists Independent Studio to get outside of the studio system. That became uh, The Mark of Zorro, made in 1920. It was a silent film, but it was popular enough that it got back to Johnson McClully, and he's like, you know what? People want more of this Zorro, because in The Curse of the Capistrano, the story is told where we don't necessarily know that Don Diego de la Vega is also Zorro until the very end when he unmasks himself after he has killed his nemesis. Uh, further Zorro stories pretend he never unmasked himself and never killed his nemesis because he <laughs> needs to become a hero that sells more pulp magazines. But 
That's in very the first... that's very Batman of him, right? Oh, like... absolutely. <laughs> the rec- the old retcon. Another thing that's very Batman of him is in the first story, um, both sides of his personality, Don Diego and Zorro, are romancing a character named Lolita Pulido. She is a noble woman who has fallen on hard times, so it's okay for both of them to romance her. Uh, But this is our first active two-person vigilante love triangle that involves an aristocrat uh, here in The Curse of Capistrano, which will become something that some Batmans get to do. The uh, two-person love triangle is uh, very, very difficult to pull off without a secret identity. Uh, also, Don Diego in the original stories has a deaf-mute servant called Bernardo, who alternately serves as both like an Alfred or a Robin-like figure, depending on the need. Sometimes he's sort of taking care of Don Diego. Other times he's much more of a partner. He even dons the Zorro suit sometimes for when Don Diego needs to appear in the same place as Zorro, so we get thrown off the scent. Uh, also, Zorro usually has a lair that is represented by a cave that would become... Uh, uh, inspiration for Ye Olde Batcave later on in the 1930s. Um, So the 1920s silent film, the Fairbanks silent film, The Mark of uh, Zorro, uh, was a great swashbuckler film, became very popular, inspired more Zorro pulp stories, but that is the one that Bob Finger and Bob King, Bill Finger and Bob King decided, has cited as an inspiration for Batman, who appeared in 1939 before the remake Mask of Zorro sound feature came out in 1940. The reason the Mask of Zorro sound feature in 1940 gets linked into Batman, even though Batman came before it, is not until uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns when we see that the 1940s Mask of Zorro movie was uh, the movie playing beside Crime Alley. Uh, In between here and there, the Mask of Zorro is only sort of hinted at as maybe being related to Batman, but uh, it was Frank Miller who put it in there as a legit Easter egg. Bob Kane, in his book Batman and Me, says does not cite Zorro or the Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, mostly because I don't think he knew his history as well as uh, we do now. But he does cite the Shadow as a primary uh, contributor to the Batman myth. Uh, the Shadow is really only one part of the shadow, which would be the uh, 1937 shadow radio drama series. That would be the one that influenced Batman because the shadow didn't start as a millionaire vigilante. He started out as the radio narrator for audio adaptations of stories from Detective Story Magazine. They wanted to up their readership. Uh, They wanted to adapt some of their stories for the radio and they wanted a narrator to speak in between the stories. That became the shadow. That narrator became so popular with listeners of the radio program that he was assigned to a pulp writer named Walter B. Gibson to turn into a series of serials in 1931. Uh, That developed the character of the shadow a little bit more. First of all, he had the power of invisibility and would hunt criminals without having a distinct alter ego. He was much more of a mystical figure Uh, that could exist on the written page and on some covers, but didn't necessarily need to be visually there. So there isn't like a lockdown costume for him in these early uh, serials. Uh, And then when Lamont Cranston, the person who would uh, eventually become the alter ego of the Shadow, first showed up in the Pulp series, he's not actually the Shadow. He's an American aristocrat that looks so much like the Shadow that the Shadow basically threatens him 
and says, I'm either going to take over your life and probably murder you, or whenever you go out of town, you let me pretend to be Lamont Cranston. <laughs> so Lamont Cranston, <laughs> ally. For the most violent house sitter of all time. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, eventually, once the radio show uh, starts up, we get much more recognizable millionaire vigilante uh, tropes. Uh, we get Lamont Cranston is just a straight up alter ego. He uses his riches to travel around the world and in some also, again, kind of racist context, learns things that are considered magic from other countries and peoples, but he has can distill them to their technology and their science. Uh, he's definitely the first I- iteration of this mass vigilante that is obsessed with uh, gadgets and science tricks to convince criminals he's doing something uh, magic or mythological. Um, and uh, also, uh, the radio serials, in order to have a, a, a returning cast of characters, uh, gives uh, the shadow regular contact with the local police commissioner, Weston, uh, pre-Gordon police commissioner uh, vigilante relationship, and introduced uh, Margot Lane as his uh, love interest. She is a socialite that falls in love with the shadow, but she is not a damsel in distress. She is very capable. Once she learns that Lamont Cranston is the shadow, they join up and she becomes one of his agents collecting secrets because he knows what fear lurks in the hearts of men. Um, <laughs> The thing that The Shadow and the Batman both sort of, like, I could draw a direct line between, is these are the single pistol crime fighters very early on when they show up. Uh, they will mostly be using uh, subterfuge and confusion and fear as their tools. But when that doesn't work, they will stick a gun in somebody's back because, hey, it's the <laughs> 30s. It's the late 30s. Um. And then the final one that I wanted to talk about, because uh, if you might have heard, we haven't really heard of a method of transportation unless you count Zorro's horse as a car, which I I don't. It's a horse. Uh, and that might have something to do with the Lone Ranger. But why? Horse? Horse. Horse. Well, while we're on the Lone Ranger, uh, there is Brett Reed, the Green Hornet. He debuted as at a radio show. He is a light spinoff of the Lone Ranger radio series. So they were like, we want more Lone Ranger type shows. What can you give us? Uh, they came up with the Green Hornet. Uh, the radio series started in 1936. So actually before The Shadow. But... Uh, Green Hornet has a really strong uh, dynamic duo uh, with him and Kato, his uh, chauffeur that also kicks absolute ass. And they have the Black Beauty, which is our tech-infused black car uh, that roars uh, around the town and uh, strikes fear into the heart of criminals and the police because the Green Hornet is just uh, he likes the idea of being thought of as like a criminal more than he likes being thought of as a vigilante because that helps him infiltrate actual criminal rings if pe- they think it's like all criminal on criminal. So those are your notable billionaire, millionaire, very rich aristocratic vigilantes who do not have actual powers but have decided to take justice into their own hands. All inspire eventually who becomes Batman where Batman in 1939, uh, being a, a billionaire with, or, sorry, um, being a millionaire with a pistol makes some sort of sense. I don't know, guys. 
does it get weirder when you put billionaire with a B on there? Like, is it weirder that this is what you're doing with your billions of dollars? You're making gadgets to punch poorer people? Mm, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we did get an email about this from a listener to say that, like, uh, Batman both punches, yes, street level thugs, but also there are a lot of mob based stories. And the mob is usually not like, you know, street level crime. Those are very moneyed uh, people as well. So, you know, shout out to that listener for, but yeah, it's still, it's still, even for my guy, Robert Pattinson, to like start with the street toughs rather than like, you know, we know that a lot of the problems in Gotham City come from your Max Shreks, which, you know, you know, uh, one of our final four Batmans also fights, you know, like take it to the boardroom, Batman. But I guess that's what Bruce Wayne can do sometimes if he's, you know, um, an active I'm fighting crime in the street at night as Batman and in the boardroom by day as as Bruce Wayne sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Am I am I am I thinking too well of billionaire playboy <laughs> Bruce Wayne? No, I I think that makes sense. I also think that the further along into sort of the modern world Batman goes, the dirtier it feels like his family's money becomes, right? Cuz it's like well, yeah, Bruce Wayne, who was born in like the late 1980s, his family money might have come from a slightly different place than Batman's money in the 1960s, right? Like, where did what what is the Wayne Corporation do, right? And I think you know Nolan yeah. gets into this a little bit, like, oh, they were kind of a weapons manufacturer. He's he's got to deal with that part of his guilt, and um, so yeah, I think him being a modern billionaire is a tougher thing to overcome than being you know, a thousand air like the Scarlet Pimpernel back in the day. <laughs> the the level of wealth is less egregious, I think, in the early 20th century. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the English aristocracy, the landed gentry of England <laughs> in the 19th century got their money. I would look askance. <laughs> it's bad yeah. either way. It's yeah. hard to get it's hard to get any of those degrees of rich uh by simply trading your own labor. Many would say impossible. So there's definitely labor exploitation happening up and down uh, these mass vigilantes. But if you're going to say buy Twitter and change its names to X, maybe you should have tried being a mass vigilante first. I just think, you know, there are dumb ways to spend money and there's dumb ways to spend money. At least Batman has interesting hobbies. Yeah, you know. <laughs> And then, you know, Batman could definitely defeat Mark Zuckerberg in a cage match versus <laughs> the other person. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's the history of rich vigilantes. Would you believe that it goes beyond Batman, but also beyond Batman? A lot of people are influenced by Batman. You would there are so many people and not until the Lego Batman do they really uh take uh, cinematic Batman to task for this, but uh, how many layers are underneath houses uh, in like modern modern vigilante fiction? A bunch. Thanks, Batman. You, you, you gave that to us. Well, I guess sort of Zorro, but everybody remembers Batman. Maybe I need to read all of the Zorro pulp things. I've heard they recently found and republished all of them like 10 years ago. Maybe it's time to get into Zorro pulps. You know why Zorro's going to be back in fashion? Because he's in the public domain? Because friend of the pod, Brian Cogman, is making a Disney Plus show about Zorro. Hey! Ooh, fun. Hey! <laughs> I guess so it's when, I mean, No, he's not currently, because Cogman is on strike. But when Cogman is back, uh, you know, in the writer's room, 
he'll be making a Zorro show that I'm really excited for, actually. Everything I've heard him tell me about it. He, Ryan's a long, like, lifelong Zorro fan, and so, like, I think this is going to be a really cool project. Fun uh, connection to Brian Cogman, who probably isn't listening. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side uh, was the uh, one of the co-signers on that licensing deal that first got Disney to Zorro because he was trying to work on Disneyland and worked for uh, a large ad company. Oh, that's but, wild. Yeah, that it was wild. One of the ways I learned about Zorro growing up, not from the Gonzalez side of my family, but from the other side, <laughs> from the business side. And really, isn't that who Dave turned into be? Uh, <laughs> all right. I think that's going to do it for this week's history lesson. I tried to uh, live up to my my co-host's uh, deep dive. Uh, feel free to email me at trialbycontent at gmail.com if I got something factually wrong. Uh, but if not, I hope I hope you learned something new. Let's move on to more ridiculousness and more Batman. Neil, what are we doing this week that we uh, haven't done the past two weeks? Well, Dave, uh, you know, we've run out of... Well, actually, we haven't run out of things to dismiss. I still have a couple of those. But uh, y- you're aware of this concept of the Trial by Content Hall of Fame building uh, in which we have a jail cell where we keep things like Star Trek and eventually Batman will go back in there. But if you walk down the hallway, we also have a long history of giving away awards. We've given away awards called Georgies. We gave away some KGs during our trial rail about Nicolas Cage, which brings us to the Brucies. Some <laughs> awards for the Batman on-screen universe. And we have eight of them, and I think you're going to enjoy all of them. The first one, this idea comes from our Joanna Robinson, and I will follow the directions on this. The first award is called The Unambiguously Great Duo, (laughs) which which bat ally would you steal as your own sidekick uh, to create your unambiguously great duo. Let's start with Joanna, since she inspired this particular award and made me sing it. The unambiguously great duo. That was that was a tough uh, proposition that I gave to you. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't make I didn't make the lyric scan and then I made you sing it anyway. um, In honor of the ambiguously gay duo from SNL and also Batman, we are here to pick a sidekick. I decided to pick um, a villainess. I think mostly because I wa- I told you guys I was watching some Harley Quinn season four last night. And I just like, I think the anti-hero or villainess is just like such a fun um, character to hang out with. Just looks like a great time. So I decided to pick Catwoman. Um, we we three love Catwoman, um, maybe for different reasons, but mostly the same reason. Um, and uh, I was like, of the Catwomen that I'm choosing from, who seems like they would might be the most reliable our ideals align, blah, blah. So I'm going with Anne Hathaway's Catwoman. Um, I I like her political ideology. I like her scary, scary boots. Um, I think she's really um, a fantastic actress. And not just Anne Hathaway, but Selena Kyle herself uh, in that moment when she pretends to be the victim and screams in, in her one of her earliest appearances. Yeah, so I'm, I'm fighting crime with uh, a a Catwoman who I have won to my side somehow uh, in, in Gotham City. Nice, nice. Well, I it's interesting that you mentioned Catwoman because I think Catwoman, I also would choose a Catwoman 
but it'd be a slightly different one. It's uh, the Catwoman played by Zoe Kravitz from The Batman, mostly based on the pitch she gives him at the end of the movie, which is like, why don't we just run away from, why don't we just run away from Gotham? We'll go to Bloodhaven. We'll knock over mobsters. We'll have whatever this kinky thing that's brewing between us can can foster. Um, I think I would follow that Catwoman, but I, I brought a second answer just in case someone else took a Catwoman. My second answer is also from Harley Quinn. And it is existential crisis Jim Gordon <laughs> as voiced by Christopher Maloney. Because I think he's the most fun version of Jim Gordon. He's a damn good cop. Um, and he's just trying to put things back together in the apocalypse. So, uh, yeah, my number one with a bullet is always going to be Catwoman. Um, uh, but but give me a fun Jim Gordon who has to sleep on his daughter's uh, dorm room uh, because he's lost his house and stuff. Um, and, of course, Christopher Maloney gives great voice performance. Dave, who are you putting into your unambiguously great duo with Batman? Well, if we go all the way back to Batman number 92, which was released in July 1955, you might remember that, Bat fans, is the issue where Batman gets Ace the Bat-Hound. The Great Dane version <laughs> comes later. This first one was a German Shepherd Ace the Bat-Hound. Oh I want God. the OG German Shepherd Ace the Bat-Hound. Little mask goes over his face, ears poke out. His original oh. owner moves, doesn't have time to, uh, you know, take Ace with him, gives him to Bruce Wayne. The original owner never puts together that the Bat Hound is his dog, old dog Ace, and that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Love that 50s Batman, um, just willful ignorance. Uh, so, you know, if one owner could miss him and sort of not notice, I bet Batman wouldn't even mind if Ace the Bat Hound came to hang out with me. Nice. God, can't believe you beat me to the dog answer. That almost <laughs> never happens. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our second. Brucey that we're going to give away is called The Hero We Deserve. In this one, you will choose which actor who has never played the bat uh, that you would choose to cast in the up forthcoming, uh, you know, assuming the strikes end eventually, uh, James Gunn DCU reboot. Uh, you also, I guess, have to pick a nemesis for him. I don't know if I brought a nemesis for mine. Um, we can which, stall for you while you figure right. out your nemesis. <laughs> which is you why know? I'm going to let Joanna go first again. <laughs> Okay, um, I feel like Batman should be American again. That's just something I feel. I'm I'm like excited that our Superman is going to be American for James Gunn. Um, and then I think our Batman, I don't think our Batman should be super young, not super old, not super young. Uh, and I, Batman strikes me as physically intimidating, right? This is a physically intimidating specimen. So it has to like fill out the Batsuit and then can do both like intimidating, strong, like all of that. And then also silly, imperious, whatever Bruce Wayne, if he needs to. So I present to you Lee Pace as a very oh, tall, shit. very strong Batman. <laughs> Why'd you say it like that, Dave? Uh, I was not I expecting okay. Lee Pace, but like he's, have you seen him in foundation season two? Yes. Like, all you need to do is uh, give him a belly button again so we know he's not a clone. <laughs> and he's, like, physically there already. He's ready, yeah. Um, but also in, like, Bodies, 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 or when he is playing Frenduel in the Hobbit movies, like, that's your sort of Bruce Wayne 
uh, possibility of like silly billionaire uh, playboy that Lee Pace can do. And then as a nemesis, again, I love a I love a, a villainess. So once again, inspired by the Harley Quinn animated series, I'm picking a Poison Ivy. I don't, with love and respect to Emma Thurman, I don't think we've gotten a really great live action Poison Ivy. I would like to see Jodie Comer of Killing Eve fame as like bringing her villanelle energy over into Ivy. So Lee Pace as Bruce Wayne Batman, Jodie Comer as Poison Ivy. That's my movie. That's my pitch. Damn, that's a good one. All right, Dave, what do you got? Well, coming out of left field again, I got a <laughs> Brit and he ain't white. It's <laughs> it's our super scroll that got disrespected. It's yes! our Ken. It's Kingsley Benadire, Batman. Yes. Great pick. Love it. He's he's gonna sass you as a rich guy. He's gonna turn on his Ken deep Ken voice to be Batman, and he is going to fight. Somebody that we've never seen Batman fight on screen before because he's from the Scott Snyder run on Batman after the new 52. It's Mr. Wonka himself, Timothy Chalamet as Mr. Bloom. He is a character that can shift his body into, uh, uh, you know, he can make his hands points. He can become like a spider-like creature because he is um, very, very skinny and weirdly proportioned. Uh, But he is a Batman villain that does have supernatural powers because he was part of a group of test subjects that were given something called the seed. And the seed is uh, something like a mutation seed. It gives people powers. uh, And in the uh, comic book run while Batman is trying to remake Gotham to be better. Bloom thinks that it shall be torn down and then regrown from his seeds. So uh, a wacky Timothy Chalamet, uh, serious and wacky Kingsley Benadire. Uh, let's just make the DCU fun all the way through. We don't need a grimdark anything here. Uh, bring that to me, James Gunn. I love this pick because few things make me matter in regards to Secret Invasion and the absolute waste of Kingsley Benadir, who is the absolute best. So, yeah, I'm sure that Kingsley Benadir would be hesitant to sign up for another comic book property after he just got done with Secret <laughs> Invasion. But, you know, but hey, at maybe... least if it was Batman, people would watch it. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I, I think people it. would be more excited about a black Batman than they were about like Super Scroll. I just I just feel like that's that's a possibility to like make your mark, you know, in Batman for a long time. I love nice. it. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that brings it down to me. Um, well, initially, I had thought I want like an older salt and peppery Batman. Right. I long for the days when Clint Eastwood was sort of maybe going to play the old Frank Miller Batman, which might be a little too grimdark for these days, especially for what James Gunn's going to do for the DCU. So I had to, I had to put aside my Richard Madden's, my handsome Anson mounts. Uh, those are great picks, but what I want is a big himbo Batman. And I would like this to be played by uh reacher himself, Alan Richson, who I think is just oh, wow. super fun. Incredibly. I, this is honestly kind of inspired by Pattinson's Batman, because what I was surprised about Pattinson is how, intimidating he looks like he just looks so much bigger than everyone else in the movie by design and mostly just because he's tall and i think we deserve a big batman we deserve and batman also is just such a great like 
straight man. So he doesn't even have to say a whole lot. He just has to have wild characters around him. So I think Alan Richardson could do this. Minimal dialogue, maximal shoulder width. And to pair somebody with him, he would need a Catwoman because I think having a Catwoman is fun. I'm going to dip back into the Game of Thrones cast and I'm going with Natalie Dormer. Because I think Natalie Dormer has that devious smile that could be very instrumental in a Catwoman. Obviously, my version would be a fairly horny Batman as well with those two. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm going. Alan Richson and Natalie Dormer as his Catwoman would be, uh, would be kind of fun. And I don't, I don't know if that fits with the vibe of the DCU, but it doesn't exist yet, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> all right. Speaking of horny Batman things, we move on to award number three. Why do we go down, Master Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> which is us answering which Batman goes down. And I I like to think of this as most fuckable Batman, but I don't think Joanna, who came up with this award, entirely agrees. So are we no, I mean, with- I'm, I mostly agree. It's just like, we. I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose sight of the core prompt. Like, it's sure. like square and rhombus. Like, if you go down, does that make you fuckable? Yes. But like, some people might say most fuckable and not include the do they go down sort of question mark. This is inspired by a, a long thread that happened on Twitter, and I just thought we should bring it into <laughs> trial by content to discuss. I think you have a great theory about this, Neil. Speaking yeah. of, yeah, go ahead. Happy to open up with my general theory, um, which is uh, any Batman who has a strong relationship with a Catwoman, because I. Uh, you know, I've thought about Catwoman a lot in my life. Thank you, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, and I just don't think that she, Selena Kyle slash Catwoman, would put up with laziness in the bedroom from Batman. She demands a very high standard from from him in both crime fighting and uh, in love making. So I honestly think it's like anyone that has like a good Catwoman. No, Catwoman, it's maybe a little bit a little bit dicier. Um my other pick, my other choice, if I had to choose just the one, I think is Adam West, uh, Batman. Because, <laughs> like, first of all, we've seen him get groovy. We've seen him do the right. Batusi. Uh, he one. knows about rhythm. And listen, underneath his, like, righteous, sort of conservative 1960s facade, I think is, like, a swinging, free-loving party animal version of Bruce Wayne that uh, could not exist on television in the 1960s, but definitely exists in Adam West's heart. So uh, that would be mine. Dave, uh, which which Batman do you think goes down? Well, he doesn't have a Catwoman, unfortunately, uh, right. Neil. But you know what he does have? A Dr. Chase Meridian. It's Val <laughs> Kilmer's Bruce Wayne or Batman. Either way, same lips. Just look at that. <laughs> Just look at it. Just look at, pause the movie at some point where Batman's talking to Chase Meridian. Look at the expression he's making. Does she, here's a question. Does Chase Meridian prefer if he keeps the mask on? Yes. For this, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I I think she defined it as like, Bruce has never gone down on me, Uh, but because the mask's always been on. I think that's how, because Chase Meridian's all about that that double life. Sure. That's one way to keep your your alter ego. safe from being discovered is always keep the mask on. Uh, all right, Joanna, which, which Batman goes down? Welcome to the most prestigious Brucey award. <laughs> Robert Pattinson based on the jawline alone. 
it's got, you know, you don't get that sharp jaw by not going down on your <laughs> Catwoman or otherwise. So it, it's just bad sin. He's just, he's just keeping that jaw tip top in shape by just shape. like an ice cream cone every day. Sure, sure. He's also got the really strong eye situation. He could maintain eye contact. It's a whole different thing. Uh, <laughs> all right. So moving on to some other awards that don't involve Batman going down, but somebody does kind of go down for this one. Uh, the Thomas and Martha Wayne Memorial Best Death That Doesn't Involve Thomas and Martha Wayne, which <laughs> we discovered as we were prepping is kind of harder than it seems because sure, Thomas and Martha die in every single Batman story, but Batman isn't a huge like killer and not a lot of, you know, he likes to put his villains in Arkham so that they can come back uh, and terrorize him further. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start because I have a favorite one. I talked about Michelle Pfeiffer a little bit. So mine comes from Batman returns. It is Catwoman's life. Number eight. And it's not the death of Catwoman, but the death of Max Shrek. I was going to say, gets that's, that's absolutely my answer roasted. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what I love about it is, you know, he gets what's coming to him, obviously. She gets to save one more life for next Christmas, which reminds me that we never quake out that third Tim Burton Batman movie, and we could have had Catwoman in it. Um, so, yeah. So, my, mine is Max Shrek and Selena Kyle, life number eight, with a, uh, what do you call those? Zapper things. Taser. Uh, taser. taser. <laughs> with a taser to the mouth a is deadly, a tough way to go. <laughs> deadly kiss. Yeah, I... Uh... I also put Max Shrek. We were debating this before we got on, and I knew that Neil was picking Selena Kyle's eighth life. Had not told me that you were involving Max Shrek, and I was like, "I don't. I will still maintain that that is not a death. That Selena <laughs> <Right>. Kyle <laughs> doesn't die, but Max Shrek definitely does, and it's a great death. So I am just gonna yes, and your pick with Max. Shrek. Sure, sure. Walk I mean, in. do we consider Selena Kyle falling out of the building and being resurrected by cats? Uh, to be a, a full death? No, none of them no. are because I they don't, don't believe, count until the ninth I one. <laughs> I don't believe. I don't believe she was supernaturally resurrected by cats. I can't. I refuse <laughs> to believe that, that that's what happened. The power of cats. Uh, all right, Dave. <laughs> does your answer involve cats in any way? Uh, it does not. It's uh, <laughs> Joker in Batman 1989. He. Did not need to die. It's his damn helicopter hubris. He could have gotten away just <laughs> fine if the helicopter lowered a little bit and he used one of his various things to cut the line. But no, Joker has to make a getaway. And unfortunately, Batman hooks him onto a stone gargoyle, which sends him falling down from a very high height in a janky 1989 VFX shot, but you gotta love it for what it is. And the reason I like this so much is, first of all, formative on uh, Young Dave uh, from the the uh, the perspective of a vigilante or a hero killing people. Uh, I remember that there's like, a distinctive difference in how we emotionally feel something with like a hero that shoots somebody in the chest and a hero that just uh, makes, as I guess Christian Bale's Batman does in Batman Begins, just makes the decision not to save the villain, which I think ultimately is what the Joker death is, which is why 
I don't think it necessarily haunts the Michael Keaton Batman the way that we are supposed to think by the time we get to Val Kilmer and George Clooney, where it's like, it won't make you feel better, Dick. It's it's just make you feel more empty inside. I don't think so. I think Michael <laughs> Keaton in Batman 1989 ends the movie with Vicky Vale and having avenged his parents uh, while also taking out a menace to society. And then gotta love the laugh bag. Uh, and it's a uh, you know recent resurrection in uh, the Flash. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving on from the Flash to our next award, which is called Choose Your Bat Brawler. This one comes with a situation that you must navigate. Uh, and I want you to imagine for a moment that you are, uh, I guess you would be like a doctor or a page inside of Arkham Asylum, and there's a mass breakout. All of Batman's rogues are running around causing chaos, and you need a Batman to get you out of Arkham safely. Which Batman, Bat Brawler, are you taking as your your savior? Uh, let's start with Joanna. Who, who you got? I just, I really need to, sorry, I need to go back to the Batman Goes Down uh, question really quickly. I forgot to this one piece of evidence. The Batman, the original Bat, does Batman go down thread was not like which Batman, but like does Batman the character go down? And I just forgot to mention this response from uh, Tzu Chun, who has written Batman. And his response is, his head has handles on it. <laughs> Why doesn't his mask cover the bottom half of his face? So... <laughs> Batman does. It's almost indeed. like it was designed for it. <laughs> Molded by Molded it. Molded by it. All right. Um, my bat brawler is, is Bale. Uh, you know, I thought about Affleck. I'm, I've, uh, I'll get to Affleck eventually, Batfleck, but I think it's Bale. Like, both Bale and uh, Batfleck, like, I feel like it oh, and pens into, I guess. So, like, you can almost, like, hear the punches. Like, it's so upsetting. Um, but I gotta, I, I'm gonna go with good old swear to me Bale for this one <laughs> well that's uh, once again we agree because i would also take bat bail there's just something about like you know affleck's great he's a big sort of much bigger older experienced batman he doesn't have the like relentlessness and the anger that we see from bale at times um like the martial arts agility sort of yeah angle. he's a ninja yeah. also he i think is the batman who hates chaos the most Right, he's a big order versus chaos guy, and if you can summon a flock of bats with your shoe, I'm pretty sure we can get out of Arkham alive. So, um, so yeah, I'm I'm on Team Bat Bail with Joanna. Dave, do you have a different answer for Bat Brawl? Well, I'm gonna have to be the one that steps in and takes the bat flick, but very specifically the Batman v Superman bat flick, who. Uh, can take a gunshot to the head and is very goal-driven, which I think is what something that would be good for this case. Uh, but I do want uh, the Zimmer soundtrack playing while he does it. Uh, I don't, I don't want to deal with any of that. Just like dun, 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 and like the the guy from Chasing Amy's just taken out all of his villains I haven't seen before. <laughs> I would like. <laughs> sounds great to me. Nice. All right. So that those are the Batman who are getting us out of the prison riot. Uh, that's great. Uh, our next award, Best Batcave Loot. Which single item from any Batman would you swipe from the Batcave and take home 
with you and why I'm happy to go first on this one because I have a slightly controversial one, which is from the film Batman and Robin. It is Batman's goth card credit card nice. uh, that he whips out at one point to give $7,000 to, uh, believe, Poison Ivy's favorite charity. People thought this was a little ridiculous, but go with me on this. It's a credit card that never expires. It probably draws from some untraceable offshore account, right? For, <laughs> for bad security reasons. We can't have this come back to Bruce Wayne. And it uh-huh. likely has no limit. So this is an almost unlimited credit card that you could hit up the closest bad ATM. And the only person who would come looking for it is Batman. So as long as Batman was cool with it, I would take his credit card um, and and definitely use it. And, you know, Cars are fun, but unlimited credit card. Let's have it. Uh, Dave, what what are you stealing from the Batcave? Mine mostly appears from the comics, but once Batman went to a place that was billed as Dinosaur Island, only to find a whole bunch of animatronic dinosaurs. And after defeating their evil machinations, he brought an animatronic T-Rex back to the Batcave, and it has been there ever since... Depending on which artist is drawing it, it looks more uh, dilapidated uh, than when it first did, uh, or more accurate or less accurate to an actual biology of a T-Rex. But it's not; it's a giant mechanical T-Rex. Uh, I would, I would love it. Uh, we were having a discussion earlier today about whether we could fit uh, large geek items inside our various houses. I don't know where I'd put this, uh, but I would, I would find a place. Sure. Yeah, not the most practical thing to take from the, the Batcave. Oh, certainly not. Unless it still works, in which case, then I just need some batteries. Sure, you can take it outside. Uh, yeah. All right, Joanna, what are you looting from the Batcave? I like stealing something that is like a dangerous, like you probably shouldn't have this thing to steal. I'm going to go with the bit of tech that a lot of people have a problem with that Seems like it's probably an invasion of privacy. It's the bad sonar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, from the Nolan films. And what would I do with it? Um, whatever the fuck I wanted. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just just Joanna's peeping Tom era begins. Like, turn maybe... every cell phone in the world into a listening device. <laughs> I mean, maybe I would maybe I would take down bad billionaires. Maybe I would, you know, like get you know, a, a certain ex-president like indicted on a on something that sticks. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, right. You wouldn't I have to see- track their private planes. You could just sonar their houses mm-hmm. with their cell yeah. phone. Mm-hmm. I see you guys providing justice with the thing you lifted while I just have a giant immobile T-Rex. <laughs> I see you. Uh, well, Dave, if it makes you feel any better, I had a runner-up for this one, and it was uh, the Bazooka from the 60s television show, which it shoots sonic waves, Batman, which I think is really fun. Um, that would be my ridiculous thing. But again, it's a credit card. Very useful. Uh, moving on to our next award. This one is about vehicles, modes of transportation, and it's called it's not a car. <laughs> <laughs> and this is name your Batman's coolest mode of transportation. Let's let Dave start with this one. Okay, guys. I This is just what it was the Batman that was out when I was of a certain age to care about it. Uh, yeah, it basically just exists for toys. But you know who bought those toys? Young Dave Gonzalez loved his toy bat wing that could blow off the wings and become a bat sub from Batman Forever. I don't know why 
a airplane would need an ejection sheet seat that goes forward, but it really works well when it's underwater. So I'm going with bat wings slash bat sub combo uh, as my favorite, not a car. <laughs> Joanna, is that yours as well? Uh, I, I, it was my runner up. Bat wing that right. goes underwater is like a really strong uh, thing, but I think I have to go with like Robert Pattinson's Batmobile. <laughs> like I just had so much fun with how unstealthy that goddamn like uh, muscle car was. I love the patents of Batmobile. So yeah, that's my patents of Batmobile is a great one. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, I think Dave, Dave has the one that I would generally take for myself, the Burton verse Batwing, but I'm also a fan of the Kilmer Batmobile. Mostly because, uh, as as Dave mentioned, uh, it was a toy that I definitely had and definitely wanted. Also, the least subtle of the Batmobiles, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the Batmobile so eventually <laughs> becomes more like a car or a military vehicle in the sort of 21st century. But that one is like, my favorite. There's part no mistaking the, who the, that is. Are the fins that kind of like rattle on the back of it, <laughs> or the hydraulics that uh you know Chris O'Donnell's Robin seems to find in that yeah. car, an amazing car, um and and an underrated Batmobile. I love this showing for Batman Forever. The, the, you guys are really yeah, right? validating my toys. It's it's great. <laughs> the Schumacher era winning some yeah. awards here. <laughs> Uh, All right, our final award, and then I have a couple of dismissal emails to read. Uh, This one is called Gotham's Flyest, and it is all about the (laughs) bat suits. You can choose which bat suit is best, nipples or no nipples is completely up to you. With that in mind, we start with Joanna. What's your favorite bat suit? I'm not not taking the nipple bait. Thank you for trying, but I'm not going to do it. Here's where I... Throw in for Batfleck and the Snyderverse. All right. And not only that, but one of, you know, part of one of the worst parts of any of the Batman movies, it's the nightmare bat suit, which is the like Mad Max. He's got the duster coat and the goggles. And I just think the coat looks really cool. So it's kind of a cheat because it's not, it's really more about the coat than it is the bat suit itself. But listen, the Snyder fans should just be glad that I'm saying something nice about something that exists in the Snyderverse. So. <laughs> nice. There you go. Uh, all right. Well, mine, mine actually was inspired. It was a late choice inspired by a show that our listeners had encouraged us to watch Batman, the Brave and the Bold. Uh, which I had not seen, but I had watched a couple episodes this week uh, after we got so many wonderful emails about it. And there's an episode where Batman and Plastic Man uh, go to King Arthur's Camelot and fight Naturally. King Arthur's uh, sister, who has become a dragon. And in this one, Batman gets this Dark Knight armor and sword, which is like this red and black medieval armor. And honestly, it's the closest that Batman has ever come to being like my favorite slutty Polish samurai, Geralt of Rivia. So I'm like, <laughs> this is my... My medieval fantasy Batman suit, even though Batman's kind of evil when he's in it, he eventually comes back around because, you know, he's got the big brain. Uh, so, yeah, I'm I'm going with like medieval Batman and his awesome helmet. Uh, Dave. It's me. I'm back with another Justice League entry for some reason, but I'm going <laughs> with another animated uh, movie. This is 2013's Justice League Flashpoint Paradox, where it is not 
a Bruce Wayne Batman at all. It is Thomas Wayne's bat suit in the alternate Flashpoint reality. Uh, yellow for red swap. So we got the bat uh, emblem on the chest, but it's got a red background instead of the yellow one. The utility belt is red. The eyes are red. And because he's a meaner Batman who had his son killed in Crime Alley, wasn't killed in Crime Alley himself, uh, he's got this awesome cape that comes down over the shoulders and has like these little points on it. So he makes an incredibly imposing-looking Batman, and I just think it's uh, fantastic. And an animated suit can look good no matter what it does. It's kind of hard with the movies to always make the suit look good. Mm -hmm. True. Uh, Because it is kind of... I I was initially thinking about going with Pattinson's uh, The Batman suit because I do look like how it looks like it's something that a millionaire would cobble together and he's like still going through iterations of it. You know, the collar allows him to change his head, but also protects his neck. He's got the gun making the bat signal. You could see a lot of like stuff in there, but it just, it doesn't look good 100% of the time, like an animated suit can. So that's why flashpoint paradox, Thomas Wayne, Batman is going to get my pick. All right. That's fair. Shout out to all the weird animated Batman suits. They're they're a lot of fun. Uh, Okay. I have, Two final dismissals. There are apparently two things that we bat missed um, and our wonderful listeners have emailed us about them. The first email comes from John in Chicago. John says, shocked to listen and hear no mention of one of our most beloved Hollywood actors who put on the Batman cape and cowl in a movie just one year ago. I thought, how could they forget Keanu Reeves? And then I realized it was because DC's League of Super Pets is a terrible movie that should be forgotten. (laughs) End quote. I didn't see DC. I knew that Keanu uh, voiced Batman in DC's League of Super Pets. And even though I'm a big, big fan of dogs and whatnot, um, never quite saw this. So I guess apologies to Keanu Reeves. You are technically one of the animated Batmen, but in a sea that has Kevin Conroy and Diedrich Bader and a bunch of great voice performances. It's tough. It's tough to sneak in with a movie that I don't know if anybody saw. <laughs> so uh, there we have it. Keanu Reeves. That's a dismissal. And then we also got an email from Sean who says, I am not sure if any of you have seen the Batman Beyond show or movie, but it is one of my personal favorite Batman things. Obviously, Kevin Conroy puts in another great performance as Bruce Wayne, but Batman's alter ego in this universe set in the future is Terry McGinnis, voiced by Will Friedel. Terry is in many ways a combination of Batman and Spider-Man. He's got the suit, the tech, and the look of Batman, but he's also got the youth and high school woes of a young Peter Parker. Terry's more youthful character allows the show to explore other aspects of the vigilante and the Batman experience that we don't get to see with the brooding, overly serious Bruce Wayne. And Will Friedel does a great job of being Batman, but different and arguably better. I know the debate is technically about Bruce Wayne's Batman, so he probably won't count, but I figure I'd go for a nice try award by throwing Will Friedel as Terry McGinnis into the mix. Uh, a great nice try award, because yes, we were looking for a Bruce Wayne Batman, but Batman Beyond does get around the the Batman as a billionaire thing. Uh, so by, by making Batman uh, Bruce Wayne's friend, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I uh, 
I did not have Eric Matthews from TJF's Boy Meets World um, on my bingo card of Batman that we would talk about, but welcome, Will Friedel. Uh, nice to see you. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there so, you yeah, go. Got into the debate. I honestly don't think we we missed any major Batman, but of course, trialbycontent at gmail.com if you want to. Uh, continue to write in about those. So there you have it. We, we've given away Brucey's. We've dismissed the final Batman. Dave, I think it's time we do a debate. It is time for the final Bat Showdown between our four champs of previous debates. And... Uh, because he's dominated in the polls once again, and that usually that's a bad thing that means you got to speak extemporaneously. We actually start with Neil and Christian Bale once right at the top. Sure. Uh, well, what more is there to really say about Christian Bale's Batman? I explained last week that he has the most complete portfolio of work of our cinematic Batman. It's got really great uh, interactions with a lot of his classic rogues gallery and Christian Bale, as Christian Bale does, did a lot of things for his body that made him a really unique and interesting Batman. He's also Ninja Batman, which is great. Scott uh, Hans Zimmer giving him the the just fantastic score. It's going to be hard to beat Christian Bale. He is the internet's favorite Batman for a good reason because he dominated most of the 21st century. And like I said last week, a lot of the other 21st century Batman are chasing him. But I am a little worried that there's a, a, a better contender out there and a more classic name that might inspire people. But don't forget, sometimes the answer is simple. The best Batman is the Batman who is in the best Batman movies. And the best Batman movie is The Dark Knight. So it's Christian. Is it? I think so. Is it? <laughs> if if it is for you, then the vote is clear. Mm. Oh, no, that is true. Uh, I guess I'm up next because I'm going to be representing Michael Keaton this week. And he also kind of ran away with his poll for 20th century Batman. And let me tell you this. Michael Keaton has a lot of the, you know, same hallmarks of Christian Bale. He's being a Batman. Uh, he just has become more of a Batman because we don't spend time with him figuring out bat stuff. He's just fully formed by the time he walks onto the scene and, uh, you know, intimidates Vicky Vale and um, old knocks the reporter with his collection of weird armors. Uh, Michael Keaton, Batman, is uh, a, a Bruce Wayne that is weird. He can't help it. And he's be- <laughs> he's working his he's working his way into becoming something I think more like the Robert Pattinson Batman. He's losing himself in Batman, and each one of his movies tries to give him a compelling reason on whether he should let himself be lost in Batman or if he needs to maintain Bruce Wayne. I think uh, you know the, a lot of that is done by giving him incredibly strong romantic partners, especially in comparison to other Batman movies uh, where like, you know, plus Chase Meridian, but it's kind of a joke. Uh, Michael Keaton's Batman has a a Vicky Vale who seems uh, 
very real and uh, he obviously cares about because he decides to get nuts with a very unhinged Joker in that film and then is later uh, brought back to uh, uh, something resembling reality uh, by realizing Selena Kyle and Catwoman could potentially be his ally. There could be a future for the two of them. He believes it. She does not. And so we get the shocking kiss of death. And if we're just talking about the character, not the portrayal by Michael Keaton, even though I think that's fantastic for somebody that was never able to turn his head, uh, the (laughs) Michael Keaton Batman that shows up in The Flash uh, is, we are told, has made Gotham better. He is taken off the cowl. He's retired as Batman because he fixed it. He is the only Batman on cinematic record that fixed it. He fixed Gotham. It's okay. Everything's fine. Zod comes in, fucks him up, kills him a whole bunch of times. But uh, <laughs> for a little while there, Gotham was a okay because Michael Keaton lost himself in the Batman. So I present to you Michael Keaton's Batman, not quite as black and white as uh, Christian Bale's Batman, but you know what he does? He doesn't give up and fuck off with a Catwoman. He sticks around till Zob murders him in a time loop. (laughs) Yeah, this is the moment where I have to remind everyone that Christian Bale said no to the Flash, uh, to our great cultural it's a gift to us, really. Yeah. Christian Bale, uh, you know, not a, not in The Flash. Also one of the, you know, white males that have worked with Christopher Dolan that are, is not in Oppenheimer. He's just, he's doing his own thing. He's doing his Bale thing. He's, he's a retired Batman. Yeah. Coming in with our next most popular Batman is Joanna Robinson, who's showing up for the R-Pats. Speaking of white men who've worked with Christopher Nolan who are not in Oppenheimer and also... <laughs> Men who did not appear in the Flash film. It is good old Battenson himself. Here's, you know, you guys heard me wax poetic about Pattinson last week. I don't know how much more I need to say, but I will say what something I didn't touch on is on the IP front. Something I'm, I mean, first of all, I'm really proud of his showing against Bale. Like I did not think he would do as well as he did. And I'm really, I'm so excited he's here. And I'm so excited that he like had a fine, fine showing against one of the internet's most favorite actors to ever play a superhero ever. Um, So good job for being here, Robert Pattinson. Um, But in terms of like on the IP front, I think it's really interesting that in this era of massive superhero fatigue that we talk about, Pattinson like punched through and beat the allegations that we were tired of watching superhero films. And in a massive corporate changeover, both with the head of Warner Brothers and who's in charge of the DC properties being... James Gunn and Zaslav coming in. They don't agree on a lot of things. They've cut a lot of things. They've killed a lot of things. They put a pillow over the face of some of your favorite superheroes, but you know who survived and is getting a sequel? It's Robert Pattinson. Made it through the WB and DC EU to DCU changeover. So uh, for his just like spring back underdog against all odds still here still punching robert pattinson stayed in bat shape all through the pandemic let's give it up for pattinson himself (laughs) i can't wait for his next movie yeah yeah i mean further proof that sometimes you know especially in this world of like every superhero thing needs to be interconnected and have a team up sometimes batman's enough 
right? Batman is that good of a character. Um, Pattinson's a good one. One of my friends made an argument for why he was going to vote for Robert Pattinson over Michael Keaton. And his argument, it, it was like a three-minute argument, and he sent me a very nice voice memo. But where he finally landed on is when Robert Pattinson takes off the mask, he's got the black eye makeup on. When Michael Keaton rips off his own polyfoam head to talk to <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer in the Penguin thing, clean face. And he's just like, let Batman be, be weird. Uh, Robert Pattinson, Batman, eye makeup, Batman. And so uh, I, I've, I've come to now, you know, view that that uh, Batman Returns scene as somehow lesser because they didn't let Michael Keaton keep the eye makeup on. However, <laughs> I might suggest that Bruce Wayne invest in like a setting spray or something for his eye makeup. Like it doesn't have to run that badly. We can we can work sure. through this. And he doesn't have I mean? to slather it all over like his entire face to make it work. There's like that scene where he's just like all over his forehead and stuff. Look, and it's like, look, it bro. looks pretty great. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I honestly think I think Pattinson is probably the choice for folks who want a Batman who's still full of potential, right? He's an unfinished book, and uh, that I think makes him extremely exciting. Uh, he does not quite have the record of our listener choice, which is Kevin Conroy. Uh, and for this, I have brought you an email from Sarah. We got a bunch of pro Kevin Conroy emails over the last couple of weeks. Here's one to sort of top it off. Here's what Sarah has to say. Not only is Kevin Conroy the supreme Batman, but he also gave the best ever performance as Thomas Wayne as well. In Beware the Grey Ghost from Batman the Animated Series, Conroy voices bro both Bruce and Thomas, and that banger 1992 episode shows more of Thomas as a father to a young Bruce than any other Batman adaptation before or since. Conroy's delivery of Thomas's line, time for all little gray ghosts to go to bed, is protective and warm and pretty much undid me the first time I watched it. Bruce's memory of cozy evenings with his father let us feel his parents' loss far more keenly than thousands of loose pearls skittering along a dark alley. Not for nothing, <laughs> but the ep that episode also features Adam West as the voice of the gray ghost and should be watched or rewatched immediately. In short, Kevin Conroy is Batman. He's the definitive multi-generational Wayne as well. Sarah added a PS justice for the salmon ladder, which we talked about last week. Don't let Stephen Amell sully it. Brandon Routh, uh, a known good, took yes. a turn on it as Ray Palmer in a 2014 Arrow episode that we still enjoy. Brandon Routh, something I very much do enjoy from the Arrow show. The Adam, yes. Love him. Yeah. Great. So I, I love this point that, you know, Kevin Conroy, not just Bruce Wayne in his own universe, but he is he's all the Wayne men and uh, that he is <laughs> sort of multi-generational is a great way to describe Kevin Conroy's Batman, because I do think that he exists. So he, he existed as Batman for so long that he could be the Batman that you think of for people of the last couple generations, right? Like you could be a millennial, you could be a zoomer and have picked up, you know, some of the animated stuff. And, uh, for a lot of people that love, especially the animated versions of Batman, there will never be anyone to top Kevin Conroy. So I'm very excited that he made it to this poll as Same. well, representing yeah. the animated, uh, you know, the, the, that's, I think one of the things about Batman's popularity, right? I, mentioned earlier that it's like sometimes Batman is enough and you need no more proof than the extensive animated universe that exists for Batman stories. Yeah. 
And I co-sign uh, with Sarah here. Uh, watch or rewatch Beware the Grey Ghost. It's a you know twenty some minute normal episode of the animated series, and uh, yeah, absolutely charming all the way through. Uh, especially when Adam West shows up, uh, one of my favorites, probably one of the best episodes of the the series, honestly. Um, and yeah, all of these all of these movies are on the max. Uh, we might not like the business decisions they've made, but they've united all the Batman streaming in one place. So try looking for a particular Batman by searching Max for just Batman. I've tried it for several weeks. You always get a lineup of stuff you were not expecting. Batman ver- and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, kind of good. Who would have no. hey, expected no. Interesting. All right. No. Uh, IP yeah. crossover time. <laughs> yeah. You think the turtles would do better with Daredevil, but no, they do excellent with Batman. And you know who doesn't blink at the shredder? Fucking Batman. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's like, I've, I've dealt with worse. Uh, so your final poll for the finale, the finals, the final four, the one that will decide the best on-screen Batman ever. It's Michael Keaton, Robert Pattinson, Christian Bale, and Kevin Conroy. It's going to be a bloodbath out there uh, this week on the internet. As a reminder, as I've been doing every week on this trial royale, I should remind you that you could vote three times in this trial. You could find our poll for the Batman Royale, the finale on TheRinger.com, where you can vote on the post for this episode. You could head to, what are we calling it? Officially X? Still we Twitter. have to call it X? Okay, Twitter. You can head to Twitter <laughs> at the Ringer profile and find a poll where you could vote there. And you could open up your Spotify app where you find trial by content. Scroll past the episode description that Carlos is maintaining for us. And you will find another place that you could vote for the best on-screen Batman. Four candidates, three votes. You can stack them, you can spread them around, but next week we definitely will know who is the best on-screen Batman. You choose the winner, and we'll announce it next week. Just a reminder, you go to letterboxcom slash content to see all the Bat films, essentially, that we've talked about over the past three weeks. And Mr. Neil Miller... Remind the people what they should be writing into a trial by content at gmail.com so they could participate in next week's debate. Well, next week, inspired by the newest member of the $1 billion club, but not an indictment of that movie at all, we are going to be talking about the worst movie to make $1 billion worldwide at the box office. Of course, you can make it adjusted for inflation. You could call it a... not adjusted for inflation, whatever you want to do. As long as the movie, you can prove somewhere made a billion dollars worldwide and it's bad, write in about it to trialbycontent at gmail.com and tell us why it's the worst. I was just looking at the bottom of this Rotten Tomatoes billion dollar, like Burton Zealous in Wonderland is on here. It's very tempting <laughs> <Yeah>. to me. <laughs> but, but it's, that movie, you know? <laughs> it's it's a fun list. <laughs> the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> you could narrow down potential choices by looking at the list and just being like, A, I didn't see it, or B, I don't want to see that one again. Which, uh, you know, the Burton Alice in Wonderland really rode the back of Avatar <laughs> the First is my recollection of that <laughs> film's financial success. Uh, but we don't need to worry about it yet. Uh, this episode is produced by our Robin, our Cato, our whoever he wants to be, Carlos Cheraboga, the best. 
I'll be Alfred. All right. Love it. All, All right, right, Alfred. Love it. <laughs>